Chapter 8 of The Silent House This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Silent House by Fergus Hume. Chapter 8 Diana Vrain. Although over three months had elapsed since the murder of Mark Vrain, and the crime had been relegated to oblivion both by press and people, curiosity concerning it was still active in Geneva Square. The gossips in that talkative quarter had exhausted their tongues and imaginations in surmising who had committed the deed and how it had been accomplished. It was now known that the deceased had been of a good county family, who had left his pretty young wife in a fit of groundless suspicion, that he had no enemies and had withdrawn to the silent house to save himself from the machinations of purely imaginary beings. The general opinion was that Vrain had been insane, but even this did not explain the reason of his tragic and unforeseen death. Since the murder, the silent house had acquired a tenfold interest in the eyes of all. The crime added to its reputation for being haunted, invested it with horror, and its commonplace looks assumed to fanciful onlookers a grim and menacing aspect, in keeping with its blood-stained floor and ghostly rooms. Disheartened by the late catastrophe, which had so greatly enhanced the already evil reputation of the house, the landlord did not attempt to relet it, as he knew very well that no tenant would be bold enough to take it, even at a nominal rent. Mrs. Vrain had sold off the furniture of the two apartments which her unfortunate husband had inhabited, and now these were as bare and lonely as the rest of the rooms. The landlord made no effort to furbish up or renovate the mansion, deeming that such expense would be useless. So number 13, deserted by man and cursed by God, remained vacant and avoided. People came from far and near to look at it, but no one entered its doors lest some evil fate should befall them. Yet... In strange contradiction to the horror it created in every breast, the houses on either side continued to be occupied. Miss Grebe frequently took a peep across the way at the empty house, with its curtainless, dusty windows and smokeless chimneys. She had theorized often on the murder of Rain, and being unable to come to any reasonable conclusion, finally decided that a ghost, the ghost which haunted the mansion, had committed the crime. In support of this fantastic opinion, she related to Lucian at least a score of stories in which people foolishly sleeping in haunted rooms had been found dead in the morning. With black finger marks on their throats, said Miss Grebe, dramatically, and looks of horror in their eyes and everything locked up, just like it was in room number 13, to show that nothing but a ghost could have killed them. 
"'You forget, Miss Grebe,' said Lucian flippantly. "'Poor Vrain was stabbed with a stiletto. "'Ghosts don't use material weapons.' "'How do you know the dagger was a real one?' replied Miss Grebe, "'sinking her voice to a horrified whisper. "'Was it ever seen? No. "'Was it ever found? No. "'The ghost took it away. "'Depend upon it, Mr. Denzel.' It wasn't flesh and blood as made a spirit of that crazy Berwin. In that case, the ghostly criminal can't be hanged, said Denzel, with a laugh. But it's all nonsense, Miss Grebe. I'm astonished that a woman of your sense should believe in such rubbish. Wiser people than I have faith in ghosts, retorted the landlady obstinately. Haven't you heard of the haunted house in the West End Square? where a man and a dog were found dead in the morning, with a valet as gibbered awful ever afterwards. Pooh, pooh, that's a story of Bulward Lightens. It is not, Mr. Denzel, it's a fact. You can see the very house in the square for yourself, and number 13 is just such another. Nonsense, why I'd sleep in number 13 tomorrow night, just to prove that your ghostly fears are all moonshine. Miss Grebe uttered a screech of alarm. Mr. Denzel, she cried with a great energy, sooner than you should do that, I'd, I'd, well, I don't know what I'd do. Accuse me of stealing your silver spoons and have me locked up, said Lucian, laughing. Make yourself easy, Miss Grebe. I have no intention of tempting Providence, all the same, I don't believe for one minute that number 13 is haunted. Lights were seen flitting from room to room. No doubt. Poor Vrain showed me over the house before he died. His candle explains the lights. They have been seen since his death, said Miss Grebe solemnly. Then... As a ghost, Vrain must be walking about with an old woman phantom who wears brocade and high-heeled shoes. Miss Grebe, seeing that she had a skeptic to deal with, retreated with great dignity from the argument, but nevertheless to other people maintained her opinion, with many facts drawn from her imagination and from books on the supernatural compiled from the imagination or, as the various writers call it, the experience of others. Some agreed with her, others laughed at her, but one and all acknowledged that, however it came about, whether by ghostly or mortal means, the murder of Vrain was a riddle never likely to be solved, and, with other events of like nature and mystery, it was relegated to the list of undiscovered crimes." After several interviews with Link, the barrister was also inclined to take this view of the matter. He found the detective quite discouraged in his effort to find the assassin. I have been to Bath, said Link dismally. I have examined so far as I was able into the past life of Vrain, but I can find nothing likely to throw light on the subject. He did not get on well with his wife, and left Bath ten months before the murder. I tried to trace where he went to, but could not. He vanished from Bath quite unexpectedly, and four months later turned up in Geneva Square, 
as we know, but who killed him, or why he was killed, I can't say. I'm afraid I have to give it up as a bad job, Mr. Denzel. What, and lose a reward of five hundred pounds, said Lucian. If it was five thousand, I must lose it, returned the dejected Link. This case beats me. I don't believe the murderer will ever be run down. Upon my word, I am inclined to agree with you, said Denzel, and barrister and detective departed, each convinced that the Vrain case was ended, and that in the face of the insufferable obstacles presented by it, there was not the slightest chance of avenging the murder of the unfortunate man. The reading of the mystery was beyond mortal powers to accomplish about the middle of april nearly four months after the tragedy lucian received a letter containing an invitation which caused him no little astonishment the note was signed diana vrain and having intimated that the writer had returned only that week from australia requested that mr denzel would be kind enough to call the next day at the Royal John Hotel in Kensington. Miss Vrain ended by stating that she had a particular desire to converse with Mr. Denzel and hoped that he would not fail to keep the appointment. Wondering greatly how the lady, who was no doubt the stepdaughter referred to by Mrs. Vrain, had obtained his address, and why she desired to see him so particularly, Lucian, out of sheer curiosity, obeyed the summons. Next day, at four o'clock, the appointed hour, he presented himself as requested, and, on giving his name, was shown immediately into the presence of his correspondent, who occupied a small private sitting-room. When Miss Vrain rose to greet him, Lucian was amazed to see how beautiful and stately she was. With dark hair and eyes, oval face and firm mouth, majestic figure and imperial gait, she moved towards him an apparent queen. A greater contrast to Mrs. Vrain than her stepdaughter can scarcely be imagined. The one was a frivolous, volatile fairy, the other a dignified and reserved woman. She also was arrayed in black garments, but these were made in the plainest manner and showed none of the coquetry of woe such as had characterized Mrs. Vrain's elaborate costume. The look of sorrow on the face of Diana was in keeping with her mourning apparel, and she welcomed Lucian with a subdued courtesy which prepossessed him greatly in her favor quick in his likes and dislikes the young man was as drawn towards this beautiful sad woman as formerly he had been repulsed by the feigned grief and ensnaring glances of silly mrs vrain i am much obliged to you for calling mr denzel said miss vrain in a deep voice rather melancholy in its tone no doubt you wonder how I obtained your address. It did strike me as peculiar, I confess, said Lucian, taking a chair to which she pointed. But on considering the matter, I fancy that Mrs. Vrain had... Mrs. Vrain? echoed Diana in a tone of contempt. 
no i have not seen mrs vrain since i returned a week ago to london i got your address from the detective who examined into the death of my most unhappy father you have seen link yes and i know all that link could tell me he mentioned your name frequently in his narrative and gave me to understand that on two occasions you had spoken with my father therefore i asked him to give me your address so that i might speak with you personally on the matter i am quite at your service miss vrain i suppose you wish to learn all that i know of the tragedy i wish for more than that mr denzel said diana quietly i wish you to help me in hunting down the assassin of my father what do you intend to reopen the case certainly but i did not know that the case as you call it had been closed i have come home from australia specially to devote myself to this matter i should have been in london long ago but that out in australia i was with some friends in a part of the country where it is difficult to get letters as soon as mrs frayne's letter about the terrible end of my father came to hand i arranged my affairs and left at once for england since my arrival i have seen mr saker our family lawyer and mr link the detective they have told me all they know and now i wish to hear what you have to say i'm afraid i cannot help you miss vrain said lucian dubiously ah you refuse to help me oh no no i should only be too glad to do what i can protested lucian shocked that she should think him so hard-hearted but i know of nothing likely to solve the mystery both myself and link have done our best to discover the truth but without success well mr denzel said diana after a pause they often say that a woman's wit can do more than a man's logic so you and i must put our heads together and discover the guilty person have you no suspicion no i have no suspicion replied lucian frankly have you i have i suspect a lady mrs vrain yes how do you know i meant her because at one time i suspected her myself you suspected rightly replied diana i believe that mrs vrain killed her husband End of chapter 8